Springtime, always a beautiful time of year here in our state of Colorado. And with the warmer weather, the snow and ice start melting and the lakes, rivers, and streams begin opening up, which means many and varied water recreational opportunities here in the Centennial State. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. Today on Colorado Outdoors, we're talking the many aspects of water safety. You're listening to Colorado Outdoors, the podcast for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. The podcast is powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. GOCO invests a portion of Colorado lottery proceeds to help preserve and enhance the state's parks, trails, wildlife, rivers, and open spaces. Its independent board awards competitive grants to local governments and land trusts and makes investments through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Created when voters approved a constitutional amendment back in 1992, GOCO has committed more than $1.2 billion in lottery proceeds to more than 5,200 projects in all 64 counties without any tax dollar support. It's now on Colorado Outdoors is Grant Brown. He's the Boating Safety Program Manager for CPW. And Grant, welcome to Colorado Outdoors. The weather is warming, the ice is disappearing, and it's that time of year when we need to start getting, you know, concerned and, and obviously educated about uh, water safety, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, boating season is upon us. Well, safety tips when we get out in the water. I think a lot of times we get so excited about getting out and recreating, we don't even think about that. So right off the top, let's just start. What are some good safety tips as people are heading out? As uh, Like I said, the ice is melting. They're getting back in the water. They need to be thinking about as they go out and recreate. So big ones we see early season. So early season boating mistakes, um, people forgetting to put their plug in their boat. Okay, yeah. They're excited. They get down that boat ramp, launch their boat, and then, oh, their boat sinks or takes <laughs> on water at the ramp. Um, so we always make sure, hey, is the plug in your boat? Um, and then doing a pre-check, you know, starting it at the dock, making sure um, the engine's running properly and you've burned off all that winterization, um, like the fog and whatnot out of your craft. Making sure you've got all of your safety equipment on board, um, so your life jackets, your PFDs in particular, um, knowing where they are and that they're still in good and serviceable condition. Um, I guess it goes along with all of your other safety equipment, making sure you know where everything is there on your boat. Um, this early season, like uh, today or this weekend, the weather's going to be, the air is going to be very warm, but that water is still very cold. Sure. Um, so making sure that um, you're dressed appropriately and, you know, hopefully no one ends up in the water, but being prepared or dressed to be, or if the weather changes, that you're dressed for the conditions. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, PFDs or life jackets. Uh, just for clarity's sake, give us the law on life jackets and being on the water here in the state of Colorado. Yes, sir. So every vessel must have life jackets on board. Um, so at least one life jacket on board for every person that's going to be on that craft that day. Um, they have to have one of the appropriate types and size for each 
occupant. Okay. Um, so then children, 12 and under, must always wear their life jacket when the vessel is underway. Um, if you're on a jet ski or a personal watercraft, same thing, um, you must always wear a life jacket, um, regardless of age. And if you're operating or if you're being towed behind the vessel, like you're on a tube or you're wakeboarding or you're skiing, then you must also wear a life jacket. Now, circle back, biggest thing, too, just like I said, you have to have those life jackets on board, but they must be readily accessible. You know, some people say, you know, I'm an experienced swimmer, I'll, I'll be fine, you know, in, in questioning the whole life jacket idea. But but there are certainly certain circumstances that you you, you, know, you just can't prepare for, correct? I mean, that, that's why it's so important to have a life jacket on. I, we hear that line often, and I tell them, I said, everyone's a great swimmer when they're expecting to swim. <laughs> sure. Some of our incidences, especially with our paddlecraft, you know, your vessel capsizes, you end up upside down in the water. The cold water in the early season, that cold water immersion is what gets spoke. So um, you don't know what that physiological response is going to be as soon as you hit the water. So those, those first few seconds in the water are going to kind of dictate how that goes. Um, so like you said, it, that makes it even more important to wear a life jacket. So if you do end up panicking or taking in water when you hit that cold water, then at least you're floating. <laughs> Grant, in regards to other safety equipment being on, on a vessel, uh, explain the idea of sound-producing advice and why that's important. Cool. So every vessel, regardless of motorized or paddle, must have a sound-producing device on board. Um, so that's a horn or a whistle. So that way, if you are in trouble or your vessel, let's say if you're on a motorboat, your vessel stops operating, your engine stops working, you could blow that horn or whistle to flag down or notify another boater to let them know, hey, I need help or I need assistance. Same thing if you're a paddler. Um, we always recommend that paddlers keep that whistle on their life jacket or on their person. Hmm. That way, if they do end up in the water or can't get back on their board or um, kayak, then they can blow that whistle and, again, notify or get help or let someone know they need assistance. Okay, makes sense. Sure, you got to be able to uh, flag people down. You know, I, we're talking about boating here off the top already, and then certainly there are many other activities. I'm thinking about, you know, I live up in the Evergreen area, and we sat in Evergreen Lake. They've got paddle boards out there and, and those types of things. When you're getting into that kind of recreating, what, what are some things some folks that to participate in that kind of thing should be thinking about? Yes, so paddle boarding is uh, one of the hottest uh, paddle, paddling activities right now. Um, not only in the country, but, yeah, definitely in Colorado here. Once again, they're easy to get out there. You can get out anywhere, but um, got to have your life jackets. You've got to still follow those same life jacket requirements, rules. Um, honestly, on these, I recommend wearing your life jacket, even if it's not required that you wear it. If you meet that age requirement, I always wear mine when I'm paddleboarding. And then, like I said, having that corner or whistle, so have that whistle on board with you. And... You have to have your name or your contact information information written on the paddle craft. Hmm. So on your paddle board, you're going to write in marker or some sort your name and contact information. That way, if your um, board is blows away or someone finds it, um, then they can contact you and make sure, hey, did your board get away from you or are you in trouble? They need to you know, look for you. Grant, the next thing I want to talk about is navigation rules in the water. I think we've all been out in a boat at, at one time or another on a busy lake or reservoir, and it can be chaotic out there when, when vessels are flying around left and right. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about the navigation rules when you're out on the water in your, in your uh, boat. 
Yes. So navigation rules, very important. Um, this is, these are things we recommend people do take a boater safety course, um, which Colorado Parks and Wildlife does offer for free um, to adults. And um, if you want a card, like a boater safety card, then it's $15. Um, in those classes, we discuss navigation rules. Um, but for the sake of this kind of quick one here, um, there are certain rules that vessels are supposed to follow on the water. So with who has the right-of-way, who is the give-way vessel. If you're in a crossing, so if you're in a head-on, you're coming head-on in another vessel, you're both supposed to alter your course to the right. So you turn and you're passing the left side of each craft is passing the left. Okay. Um, the, I guess, easiest way for this to discuss, so your green light is on your right side of your boat or your starboard. Your red light is on your port side or the left. If you are approaching a vessel and you're seeing the green or the right side of their vessel, you are the stand-on. That, in turn, means that vessel is seeing your left or your port side, which would be a red light. The red means stop, usually, and that means give way. So they're going to let you go through. Um, so it's kind of confusing to explain. Um, in the um, course here, or on the phone here, but um, we would... Just recommend, you know, give everyone space and respect and just try to just not operate closely to one another if you can. Sure. But I, I think you, you throw out some great recommendations there and some uh, very wise counsel. Take a boating course if you're going to be boating and you're going to own a boat and get out in the water. So great advice right there. You know, the last couple of years have unfortunately set records uh, for deaths by drowning here in the state of Colorado. Is you guys have studied that? Can you pinpoint reasons why those numbers seem to be up? Well, again, I think just it's good and bad, unfortunately. You know, it's great. More people are getting outdoors. Um, which is excellent. That's awesome. We want people to get out and enjoy um, what Colorado has to offer. Uh, we're getting, you had touched on paddleboards. These are a relatively cheap activity to get into. Um, so we're getting more folks that are going to these big box stores buying canoes, kayaks, paddleboards. They can get out there more readily, but then they're not capturing the boating safety message. So unfortunately, there's, you know, there's no sign saying, hey, do you have your life jacket sure. while, you know, while you're buying this kayak? So I think we're getting more inexperienced boaters on the water. It seems like folks have been also, I think, trying to social distance this last year. We have more people paddling on their own. Mm. So we always recommend, and that was one I should touch on with the paddle boarding, we always say paddle with a buddy, paddle with a friend. Um, so if you do get into trouble or they do or whatnot, board blows away, then someone is there to either help you out you know, and get you, keep you safe. So I think those are kind of the main things, the just increased boating traffic and fortunately more, I guess, inexperienced people that are not aware of the boating safety rules and how dangerous our, and how cold, I think, our water stays year-round. Yeah. Um, so Colorado stays in cold water temperatures the whole year. You know, maybe it's best to, to, to kind of expand upon that idea a little bit when you think about it because, you know, you get plenty of folks coming into the state of Colorado and they're coming from California or Texas or the Midwest and, and you don't think twice about jumping into a lake and the water temperature isn't much of a concern in the middle of, of July. But that is something that's unique to elevation and the conditions we deal with here in the state. And, and I think it's it, maybe the, it, it's re important to remind people of that so they're very aware of what they're getting into when they jump into the water. Um, and this goes for both our rivers and our lakes. 
again, you know, folks have done it here in Colorado, you know, it'll be 80, 90 degree day, especially when I'll touch on the river really quick. So for people get into trouble on like our whitewater trips, you know, I think they're, they're sweating, they're hot in that life jacket and something happens and they get tipped out of the boat. Um, that water's what, 55, 60 degrees still, the snow melt, it's, you know, runoff from the mountain. Then they succumb to um, cold water immersion quickly. On our lakes, the same thing. What do they call cold water? The temperature, I guess, that is considered cold water is 70 or below 70 degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of our bodies of water rarely touch that um, that whole year. Right. Um, so you think in July, you're probably going to be close to, you know, dealing with cold water immersion situations. Grant, before we wrap up, I've heard, uh, you know, about emergency cutoff switches, and I know there are some areas of the country where they're mandatory. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit about what the regulations are here in the state of Colorado in that regard. Yep, so you're right. The Coast Guard did just pass a federal law um, that will, I guess, went into effect in April, so this month, that all vessels that are equipped with an emergency cutoff switch or a safety lanyard, um, people also call them a kill switch, um, but the operator must wear that lanyard or that utilize that emergency cutoff switch if it is on that vessel. Um, so any craft made after um, January of 2020 must have one installed, and these are motorized vessels. Um, and that is also, and so in Colorado, jet skis right now, so personal watercraft, it is required that an operator wear that safety lanyard for that emergency cutoff switch. That's the only vessel that, in state law, it is mandatory that an operator wear that. Um, for the other craft, it is currently just a uh, federal law, and it is not state. It is not a state law yet. Tell us about the the safe boating campaign in Operation Drywater. What is that all about? Yeah, so the National Safe Boating Council and campaign there, they have um, a fun week. I guess we'll start with the National Safe Boating Week, and it's May twenty second through twenty eighth. And each day covers a different safety um, skill or knowledge about something boating safety-related. Like one of the days is wear your life jacket to work day, which is kind of fun. It's a national (laughs) campaign where people work regardless of what uh, your job is or your profession. You take a picture, you just want to take a picture of you wearing a life jacket at work. Um, And then there's like a, yeah, so... Just trying to get that, keep that on people on the forefront of people's minds, and going over that. And then Operation Dry Water happens be closer, or I think right around the Fourth of July, and it's a weekend, and it's a national campaign for not boating impaired. So kind of like a heat is on campaign for the water. Sure. Um, so heightened um, sobriety checks for um, people boating under the influence of alcohol or drugs and or both. Yeah, it runs Friday through that um, Sunday. Okay. Always important to remember that, uh, certainly. Well, you've inspired me, by the way. I was just sitting here thinking as you're talking about the safe boating campaign that, you know, when the season rolls around and I'm doing college football or college basketball, walking into a stadium arena with my uh, life vest on, I think that's going to be uh, quite a talking point for folks. But you've inspired me. But uh, great great information here today, Grant. We certainly appreciate it. We wish everybody a, certainly a, a safe experience as the weather's warming and we start getting out in the water. Now let's shift gears. Joining us in Colorado Outdoors is Jim Hawkins. He's the leader of CPW's Marine Evidence Recovery Team. 
Jim, welcome. That's a pretty uh, interesting uh, title right there, Marine Evidence Recovery Team. Kind of give folks a little overview of what that means, what you guys do, and what your responsibilities are. Yeah, the Marine Evidence Recovery Team is actually a statewide response team uh, that is directly operated by Carl Parks and Wildlife and specifically housed within the boating safety program. Um, we have 11 team members uh, that are spread out across the state, and this is an additional duty that these team members actually uh, volunteer for. Um, so they don't get any extra compensation to be on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, our primary mission for the Marine Evidence Recovery Team, we also call it MERTs because that's a mouthful to say. Uh, so we usually refer to ourselves as, as the MERT team. Uh, the primary mission for MERT is to investigate, recover, and collect uh, any boat accident evidence in flat water environments. Uh, such as ponds and lakes. Okay. So what would a normal call look like? What what, what would you guys be doing? You get a, a call that you need to send the MERT team out to uh, take a look at something. Is it immediately after an accident? Is it well after an accident? What, what would a, a typical call look like? So typically all of our call-outs so far um, have been the incident is actually occurring at that time. Hmm. Um, you know, specifically last year, Unfortunately, we had a record number of flatwater deaths uh, within the state, and our marine evidence recovery team actually had 18 call-outs. Um, so these are typically agencies, uh, local or county governments, or even our state parks or wildlife areas where a drowning or a major boat accident has occurred. And uh, they're notifying us as soon as possible, hey, we need you. Uh, can you please start heading out this way? You know, Colorado is a beautiful state. Uh, however, with us being a statewide team and our team members being completely all over four corners of the state, uh, specifically, I can tell you, we responded to Durango a couple times last year, and that's a solid eight-hour drive sure. uh, coming from Denver. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of the agencies understand, hey, there might be some drive time. Um, so it depends, uh, but usually they notify us as the incident is occurring so they can you know, we can start packing our equipment and start heading that way. I think just for clarity's sake, and, and uh, when, when you say flat water, you're talking lakes and ponds, and so you guys don't uh, get called into issues on rivers. Is that, that uh, a fair assessment? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. Uh, we have tried to use some of our equipment and some equipment, specifically like our side, sand, side scan sonar, uh, has been able to work a little bit on rivers, but the water is moving too fast, and we get water bubbles obviously, and that tends to um, interfere with our uh, equipment that we usually use with sonar. Speaking of equipment, uh, t- tell us about the, the, the boats, if you will, the marine vessels you guys use for these searches. I'd imagine there, there's a number of them you guys utilize across the state, correct? Yeah, there is. Uh, so for the last four years, I've been assigned to the Marine Evidence Recovery Team as a team leader, um, and we have been slowly building uh, our program. And uh, as of last year, uh, we had three sets of equipment, and when I say three sets, I mean an actual boat that's dedicated uh, for searching for uh, boat accident, evidence recovery, or you know drowning victims. So we have a boat, and then we have a boat that's fully furnished with uh, two hummingbirds, which is our side scan, down scan imaging, mm-hmm. and then we also have a ROV, which we'll touch on probably a little bit later, but that's our underwater uh vehicle. It's pretty much a size of a computer that has a little grappler on it that we send down to recover the evidence of a victim. 
And then we also have what's called a towable sonar, and it kind of looks like a big old torpedo. That's okay. probably five or six inches, or five to probably about five feet long, uh, three to five feet long. And uh, that's actually towed at depths of, you know, a couple hundred feet. So we have the ability uh, to go to, uh, for example, Grand Lake. Um, that's the deepest known lake that we're aware of, and that's 310 feet. Wow. And we have the ability to use towable sonar to actually scan the bottom of those lakes in Colorado. Wow, impressive. Okay, you mentioned ROV, and I was going to go right there next. I've heard that before. Tell us about that nifty little unit. Sure. Yeah. ROV stands for a remotely operated vehicle. Um, pretty much, you know, people are like, what the heck is that? Um, it's pretty much a device. Uh, ours specifically are made from video ray. It has a grappler, um, and it's kind of easy way to remember. It's like a claw, and it rotates uh, pretty much 360 degrees around like a big circle. And we're, we have the ability to go down and pick up like a a shoe or a piece of a boat that might have fallen off from a boat fire or a boat collision and actually bring that up. But the nice ability about these specific ROVs, um, we actually had video. So we can actually find the piece of equipment or evidence that we're looking for. Hmm. We can actually recover the entire, or we can record the entire uh, incident as we found it. And then we can actually start bringing up those pieces of uh, evidence that we have. There's got to be enormous challenges when you guys go out, whether it's a rescue or a recovery mission. Maybe talk a little about the challenges when you get out there, the kind of difficulties you're facing, and how you guys overcome those. Uh, the biggest obstacles that we have, um, you know, a lot of these small ponds or areas that we're getting called to because we're seeing you know record numbers of visitation. Uh, we don't have a really good idea of what these lakes or ponds look like. You know, we have hundreds of lakes or ponds within the state. Uh, typically, we focus on our state wildlife areas and parks. Uh, but, you know, other agencies are covering these ponds. So we come into these lakes or ponds, and we don't know exactly what those lakes look like on the bottom. Uh, you know, we were at Lake Nighthorse uh, last year, and, you know, it's just a forest. They pretty much... Uh, but at the entire reservoir, so we have, you know, 24-foot trees that we're trying to work around or, you know, fallen trees or whatever. Um, you know, other lakes or ponds might have, might be gravel pits, so there might be large boulders or something. So sure. people look at those lakes and ponds and go, all right, what are we looking at at the bottom of this lake and, you know, where are we going to get um, caught up on another thing that really hampers us is milfoil, especially during the middle of the summer. Uh, it's so difficult uh, to get sonar to read through there. And unfortunately, we've had victims or pieces of evidence that fall within that. And it's just a slow, arduous process of searching it pretty much inch by inch with that camera uh, just to see if we can find what we're looking for. So. If you would like to be involved in the MERT program and the Marine Evidence Recovery Team, there's got to be plenty of, I would think, training and, and certification, is there? There is. Um, one of the basic fundamentals that I call for our, our Marine Evidence Recovery Team is you got to know how to drive a boat. Um, obviously, that's kind of the, the basics of, hey, we're going to be on the water, you got to drive. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, you know, I think one of the strongest points of our team is a lot of our Team members come from a variety of backgrounds. Uh, they all work with, with, for the agency, the Parks and Wildlife Officers, but they have different assignments or whatever. And I think that actually is probably our greatest strength is we have so many differences, and it allows us to look at 
uh, the incident as a whole from different angles, and then we come up with the uh, best way of how to attack that. Nice. However, you know, when you're a brand-new team member uh, to Mert, uh, there's a lot of things that you have to go through. And first of all, you know, we have a couple multi-day uh, sonar and search, search and rescue trainings. And, you know, they're teaching you the ability to how, how to run proper searches. Mm. You know, we're doing a grid line search, and, you know, how are we making sure that we search every piece of that lake? Um, you know, it's people don't understand, you know, like, how hard is it to search the lake? But think about it. You're lo- really looking for a needle in a haystack. You, your eyes are blindfolded because you really can't see. And the marine environment is always constantly changing. So making sure that we have that good... Uh, fundamentals for our team when they start, our team members doing that search and rescue, doing those proper searching techniques, that's really important. And then also they have to go through trainings on how to operate uh, our tow fish and our ROV, our hummingbird. Uh, we also ask them to go through instant command classes. And then at the end, of, once they get through all those classes, uh, we do a two-year mentorship uh, and just make sure that we're teaching them how to run or read sonar and how to properly run the equipment uh, as we see feet to make sure that we're successful on our call-outs. Wow, plenty of preparation and uh, training goes into that. How about from a funding standpoint? Uh, when, when you look at this program, Jim, um, like a lot of programs, uh, they can be independent. Uh, sometimes they're always looking for funding. How is this program uh, cared for financially? Um, so our, the Marine Events Recovery Team uh, is funded by the U.S. Coast Guard. Uh, voting safety grant, uh, and that grant is pretty much a uh, matching grant for recreational voting in Colorado. Uh, that match money comes from how much specifically Colorado State Parks uh, spends on their operation expenses each year to allow more access to rec- recreational voting in Colorado. And then the U.S. Coast Guard also looks at, you know, how many number of registered vessels in the state goes in, and then that goes into a formula and that pretty much dictates the funding for the boating safety program. And the point of the boating safety program is to get the, that grant money actually out to the parts and open up more recreational opportunities for our boaters in Colorado. So MERT uh, gets a very small amount of funding from that grant to make sure that we continue to operate within the state. You know, I love finding out more and talking to folks involved with some of these great uh, great programs within CPW that maybe the uh, general public doesn't know a lot about, but they're doing important work out there like the Marine Evidence Recovery Team. Hey, Jim, great stuff today. Thanks for joining us here on Colorado Outdoors. Thank you. Our thanks to Jim Hawkins, leader of CPW's Marine Evidence Recovery Team, or MERT program. There is no better time of year than when the weather is warming here in Colorado, and after months of winter, we all begin to emerge, eager to enjoy our state's amazing natural resources, but always with the idea of staying safe. Our thanks to Jim Hawkins and Grant Brown for joining us this time on Colorado Outdoors, talking water safety. Remember, for anything and everything pertaining to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, go to our website at cpw.state.co.us. Thanks for joining us on Colorado Outdoors, powered by Great Outdoors Colorado. I'm your host, Mark Johnson. Until next time, get out and enjoy the great outdoors in our beautiful state of Colorado. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is a nationally recognized leader in conservation, outdoor recreation, and wildlife management. 
The agency manages 42 state parks, 960 plus species of wildlife in Colorado, more than 350 state wildlife areas, and a host of recreational programs from hunting and fishing to the state's trails program, boat registration, snowmobiles, off-highway vehicles, and more. All of its management is in perpetuity for the enjoyment of Coloradans and its visitors.